This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about mulled wine. Yes. Woo! Um, as always with these, drink responsibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I feel like the answer is obvious, but was there any particular <laughs> reason this was on your mind, Lauren? Um, nope. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, holidays. Uh, this is a winter and or holiday drink. Um, and I, I don't usually drink a lot of it because it like wine plus sugar mm. equals bad times. For mm-hmm. me, I don't want to drink too much of either of those things. Um, mm-hmm. And when so when they're together, I'm like, oh, oh, dear. Oh, I feel mm-hmm. terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was just looking for a, it was like kind of like a booze topic was sort of next up in our uh, ever, ever increasingly strange uh, yeah. uh, complex of topics. And yeah, it seems seasonal. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I think I've had it a couple of times in my life. I did try the, oh, you would not like this, Lauren, but I <laughs> tried the hot chocolate red wine thing that was really popular for a while. Oh, um, I mean, I, I would probably enjoy a sip of it. Oh, yeah. It's like, again, kind of with the mulled wine also mm-hmm. limitations, <laughs> uh, but it was very good. Uh, but I did have a very bad experience with sangria. Um, oh, hmm. it was mm-hmm. my fault. Um, <laughs> I went overboard, drink responsibly, drink responsibly. But mm-hmm. uh, boy, oh boy, did it look like someone had died in my bathroom. Oh, um, oh, friend. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I do have, um, I think a, a, a reservedness around it, okay. but I think it's a good, it's <laughs> healthy. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's that's probably that's probably for the best. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've I've made it. 
um, dozens of times. Uh, it's definitely been like a kind of yearly tradition, especially with some of my uh, uh, like solstice celebrating friends. Uh, <laughs> it's very big in that circle. Um, pun intended because they're witchy. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Today is also the solstice as yeah. we record this. So, hey, happy solstice to those who do celebrate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in fact going to a solstice party later and I had some mulled wine last night. So oh, we're all, nice. we're all doing great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, you'll have to report back about that. Um, oh yeah, sure. You can see our wine episodes. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm. We did one on Wassail. I think Wassail. <laughs> I think we talked about it in Oh I think gosh. We did it. Did we? All right, I believe you. I feel like listeners, you are the bigger <laughs> <laughs> you know more about what we've talked about. But I could have sworn we did it. Maybe we did it. Um unless I'm spelling it wrong, it's not coming up in my spreadsheet. So a mystery. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way we'll ever know. Um, <laughs> there's no way of finding out. No, zero <laughs> percent. Uh, oranges. Um, okay. Yeah. Actually, sure. Especially their kind of holiday uh, connotation relation. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the spices. Uh, eggnog. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Well, I guess that brings us to our question. I guess so. Mold wine. What is it? Well, uh, mold wine is an alcoholic beverage made of spices and often fruit steeped in warmed wine and served warm. It can also be further flavored with things like a sweetener and a liquor. Red wine is the more common base, but white can be used too. The spices are usually warm and woody things like cinnamon, star anise, ginger, and cloves. The fruit is usually oranges, but can be other sweet tart things like apples or lemons. The liquor is usually something smooth and and woody as well and like a little bit sweet like a cognac or a rum. The sweetener can be a sugar of whatever kind, brown sugar kind of works well, uh, or honey. Um, Every batch is going to be different and to taste, but you've generally got like just an overall really warming beverage. Uh, you know, you've got the physical heat, the burn of the alcohol, and the and the different burn, like the pungency of the spices, and then uh, hopefully a balance of uh, sweet and tart and puckery and bitter and floral and fruity flavors, um, all kinds of complex things going on. It's like, um, it's like a wine tea. Mm. It's, it's like a warm sangria or a spice cake in a glass with wine. Um, it's, uh, it, it's actually a little bit overwhelming taste-wise. It's just got a lot happening. Um, but in a way that feels filling, like, like mm. sensorily filling rather than overwhelming to me personally anyway. Um, it's like, it's like the moment that you step into a hot bath or, or when you get in from the cold and, and, and your fingers and the tip of your nose have finally started to warm up again. Um, but, but you can drink that moment. Once again, Lauren, you're a poet. You (laughs) could have another life as a writing marketing for (laughs) mold wine. (laughs) It makes me want it very badly (laughs) because I'm freezing right now. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, 
you are, yeah, you are very, you're a little bit less um, warmly dressed than you were yesterday, but I assume it's just heckin' very cold in your apartment. Yeah. Uh, for listeners, I have a radiator. It's fine. It works. But this particular room where I record, if it's cold outside, it is cold in here. If it's hot outside, it is hot in here. It's mm-hmm. just not... Anyway, I'm very cold, and this sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, get ready to continue being angry because I have more more delicious-sounding things coming up. All right, because, right, again, the variations on this one are truly endless and can be based on traditions or whatever you personally like or whatever you happen to have around, Um, you know, like – You can put in pear or cranberries or blackberries, currants, mezcal, port, orange liqueur, black pepper, cayenne pepper, nutmeg, vanilla, maple syrup. Oh, heck. All of those Mm. things sound good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mezcal. Oh, okay. Anyway, um... I will say that this isn't the best time to bust out like your most expensive wine bottles um, because any subtlety that a wine has is going to be lost. And not like lost like your keys, like like when your socks go to another dimension, like gone, all right? Mm. Um, so three-buck chuck is fine or boxed wine or, you know, whatever. Um, again, tastes do vary, uh, but I would generally recommend starting with something dry, like a Cab Sav or a Vino Verde or like a dry Riesling. Um, Interestingly, some of the flavor compounds in the common ingredients in mulled wine do mirror the scent and or flavor compounds in pine trees, you know, like Christmas trees and garlands, which I love, by the way, and I haven't gotten for a few years because I've been too lazy to go out and get. Need to need to rectify that. Oh, my tree, Lauren, so many Star Wars ornaments. You would not <laughs> believe it. I, you probably would. I, I would actually <laughs> believe that, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Oh, heck yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, compounds like limonene uh, from the wine and the citrus are both present in pine needles and sap. Or um, alpha terpenol in wine and cloves are similar to the pinene in pine. Tannins happen in wine and also in bark and wood. These these spices are also often used in holiday dishes, of course, from like clove-studded hams to gingerbread. So it all just goes well together. Mm-hmm. And all right, a little bit more science. Um, so mold wine works because you are increasing the solubility of all of these flavor compounds in, in your add-ins by heating them up in a solution that contains water and alcohol and acids, which are three of the primary things that stuff is soluble in. So you've kind of got your, 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 your dealer's choice of whatever it wants to, to, to be soluble in. Um, and yeah, heating helps because, because heat is a form of energy that helps break the bonds that are holding molecules together in solid objects, like a slice of orange or a cinnamon stick. However, heating can also evaporate some of the stuff that you want in your solution, mostly the alcohol, but also some of those flavor compounds as well. So um, you might want to bring your mold wine to a simmer just to get it started, but then lower it to the point that it's steaming or or just below steaming even, um, and keep it mostly covered so that any vapors condense on the lid and then fall back into the solution. Uh, Like, remember that alcohol vaporizes at just 173 degrees Fahrenheit or 78 Celsius. So uh, well, well below a boil. Um, 
The longer that you let your add-ins steep, the more flavor they will lend to mold wine. So if you like it strongly flavored, do it kind of low and slow. Uh, not, not too, too long, or some of those flavors will start to break down and taste you know, weird or muddy. And some of those flavor compounds are going to make it into the air no matter what you do, which is actually terrific because a lot of our flavor receptors are in our nose, not our mouth which is part of what makes the experience of mulled wine so pleasant. Um, it's also why hot food can feel more satisfying than cold food. Like, no matter how much you enjoy gazpacho, and, I mean, we all do, right? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like, a, like a good marinara sauce smells so much more strongly and just hits differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did read some recipes uh, where you cold infuse your mulled wine for like a full 24 hours in the fridge and then uh, heat it gently prior to serving. So I haven't tried that form. I'm interested in it. Interesting. So do you have a go-to recipe, Lauren? Oh, I just throw in whatever I want. Okay. So it's <laughs> whatever you're feeling at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely some some cinnamon sticks, some cloves. Um I, I don't know, some oranges and lemons, um, mm. maybe, yeah, like like whatever box of wine I have around. Um, <laughs> if I have mm. some whiskey or rum or like a fruit brandy sometimes on my on my bar, then then I might put some of that in there. I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Whatever, you, whatever's going <laughs> on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And uh, if you don't drink for whatever reason, um, and there are many good reasons, you can totally make non-alcoholic mulled wine. Um, you know, your base can be anything that gives you some of that, like, sweet tart drying combo that, that wine has. Um, think, like, tart juices, like pomegranate, grape, cranberry, or apple cider. Um, or maybe some, uh, some black tea or hibiscus tea. Or, like, a, like a non-alcoholic wine or cider. Maybe with some extra kick from fresh orange or lemon juice. Um, if you don't mind spicy hot flavors, a little something that brings that in will will help replicate the burn of alcohol, if, if that's something that you want. Um, the aforementioned black pepper or cayenne, red pepper flakes, maybe some dried chilies. Ooh. Yeah. I am hi, – hibiscus and dried chilies are two things that I intensely want to try in a mulled wine right now. Oh, my gosh. I have so many dried chilies on hand. <laughs> yeah. Again, like oh. we talked about with rose water. I recently made Berea and it made oh, right. a, a, a stunning amount, <laughs> listeners. But the dried chilies I needed, I only needed like two to four of each of them, but they all came in this huge pack. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. once again, if you have any recipes <laughs> to use dried chilies, very happy to have them. And maybe this is something I could look at, too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Alcohol is a treat. Treats are nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that scientific studies have shown that mulling wine with spices increases the phenol content and antioxidant properties of that wine. There hmm. has been scientific research into this. <laughs> I did find it, uh, sometimes in these outlines, I'll find a, a resource that I'll just put in and I'm like, Lauren can deal with this. <laughs> um, but I did find one that was very science heavy and it was about like all of the things mold wine is doing. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Yeah, but my point being, yes, people have uh, uh, looked into it. Um, but that being said, they haven't really... It's hard to put down numbers for mold wine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, to be honest, I didn't look too hard because I felt like that's not really the focus of something like mm. this. You're not going to... I mean, like, like you, you could... Hypo- I, I could hypothetically have dug into, like... Because there are totally brands that put out, like, mold wine, like, like pre-mixed mold wine seasoning packets. Um or uh, I don't know, like like the, the 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 ranking of mulled wine on you know like hundred top cocktails in the world lists or something like that. But yeah, it's something that people make at home. Yes, you can get it. I did see it recently at one of our holiday pop up bars here in Atlanta. Oh sure, absolutely. Um, but in my experience, that is when I encounter it or when someone makes it. So yes, yeah. Uh, but it has experienced an ebb and flow of popularity. Oh yes, say? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we are going to get into that history as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And again, see our episodes on wine for more context information. And all the spices. Yep. Yep. Oh, yes. Um, the story of mold wine is a bit murky, or at least specific details are, because a lot of people pointed out, like, you can kind of speculate based on what was around and what people were doing, what was happening, mm-hmm. but we don't have the, like, hard evidence. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things that it's like, do you have wine? Do you have spices? Do you have a heat source? Right. You're probably going to put those together at some point. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, But uh, by some accounts, it was first consumed in ancient Greece as a way to use up a grape harvest that was otherwise like not good, going to go to waste. Hmm. Um, And to improve the taste of lower quality wine made from this harvest, they would add a bunch of spices and heat it up. Uh, The Greeks may have called this spiced wine Hippocras after Hippocrates. We'll talk about that a bit more in a second. But other people say the ancient Romans did it first and or it was kind of happening concurrently um, because they had a similar take called Conditum Paradoxum, which was wine warmed with honey and pepper. As early as the second century CE, they would warm and spice wine as a way to ward off the cold of winter. And because of the preservative properties of honey, it was recommended to travelers. Mm. Um, The practice spread and was adopted throughout their empire. One source that I found claimed that Conditum Paradoxum was integrated into ancient Rome's Saturnalia Festival, a celebration of the winter, solti- winter solstice, which is today as we record, mm-hmm. um, the shortest day of the year, and the rebirth of the sun. Um, I only found that one place, but interesting. Apicius's 5th-6th century cookbook featured a recipe for wine and honey boiled down and reduced with fresh wine, pepper, dates, saffron, and bay leaves. So that sounds pretty close-ish. Bay leaves. Bay leaves. I know, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Ideas. Cool. Yeah. Ideas. Thanks, Apicius. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, most sources that I found claim that mulled wine really rose in popularity in the Middle Ages in Europe, um, in part because people thought that the spices added health benefits and made the wine more tasty. Um, sometimes they'd add herbs, natural sweeteners, and flowers as well. At this point in history, water was still a bit dicey to drink. Mm-hmm. Um And the wine selection could be pretty slim, maybe not the best quality of wine. Um, and there were fears of the the plague of Black Death, and people were really worried about their health. So they turned, for all of these reasons, <laughs> to mold wine. Um, according to Merriam-Webster, the verb mull, meaning to heat, sweeten, and flavor as wine or cider with spices, was first recorded in 1618. Um, but before the word had been coined, there were earlier records and recipes that indicate people were making it before then, uh, including this recipe from 1596's The Good Housewife. Take a gallon of white wine, sugar two pounds, of cinnamon, ginger, long pepper, mace not bruised, gallangal, and cloves not bruised. You must bruise every kind of spice a little and put them in an earthen pot all day. And then cast them through your bags two times or more as you see cause. And so drink it. (laughs) (laughs) As you see cause. I love reading these recipes, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) They 
they feel like I'm making a potion, and I know it's just a difference. In mm-hmm. But but yeah, I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Don't you must bruise them some, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And so drink it. Yeah, <laughs> and so drink it. Uh, over time. Despite these amazing, in my opinion, recipes, the popularity <laughs> of mulled wine did diminish across Europe, except for in Sweden, where the love for it only seemed to grow. Um, two varieties in particular were Swedish specialties, claret, which from what I understand is not what I would assume claret to be. Uh, it was a mix of ren wine with spices that was sweetened with sugar and honey, and lutendrank. I hope I'm not butchering that. I couldn't find the pronunciation. Um, mm-hmm. Wine mixed with milk and spices. So these are really popular. And the monarchy in in particular was fond of these mulled wines and popularized them for centuries. And these varieties went on to, to inspire other varieties. And recipe books started including them under a wide category called gluck, gluck, um, a term that started popping up as early as 1609. Several hundred years later, a new variety called Cognac's Gluck um, emerged and became a favorite. All right, yeah. Um, Meanwhile, another version, uh, Glühwein, developed in Germanic Europe. The first known written recipe is from all the way in 1834, but it has certainly been around longer than that. Um, There is, for example, a gold-plated tankard that this one nobleman, like the first guy to grow Riesling grapes, apparently used to drink mulled wine, dating from 1420. So, yeah. Uh, I'd say today, like, outdoor Christmas markets with arts and crafts and other gifts are a popular thing in Germany, and both Glühwein and um, and a non-alcoholic version called Kinderpunch are commonly available. I love that. Kids punch. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, the association that many of us have with mulled wine and the holidays, um, and not just as something to warm you up in the cold, because a lot of these holidays do take place uh, for many of us in the the cold, Mm -hmm. uh, stems from traditions of drinking it to celebrate during Victorian England. Although... Some things I read argue it goes back much further, possibly all the way back to Saturnalia. But this seems to be when it really took hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A L- little bit of both. And also um, the 1800s was kind of when uh, Germany was going through a big wave of uh, revival of old traditional stuff like this. And it kind of became like like re-popular um, through England because the English monarchy was... Uh, had, had had close relations to Germany at that time. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fun times. That's also where we get Christmas trees from, basically. <laughs> I'm sure they could never envision a <laughs> Christmas tree decked with Star Wars and <laughs> ornaments. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> also Charles Dickens mentioned mulled wine in A Christmas Carol in 1843. Yeah, um, at the end, when Scrooge has had his change of heart, he offers Bob Cratchit uh, the chance to talk more about, like, workplace improvements, uh, quote, over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, which, if you're unfamiliar, is a mix of red wine and port uh, steeped with roasted lemon and cloves. Mm. Again, historical sources coming through roasted lemon? I've had lemon in mulled wine, but roasting it first is such a good idea. That is a good idea. Heck. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, one more historical note here, because I, I just did a Brain Stuff episode about all of this. Um, I mean, and or I know a lot about A Christmas Carol. Um, it's really impossible to overstate the influence that A Christmas Carol has had on our modern American slash English concept of Christmas. Like, mm. it is a very, very, very strong influence, partially because Dickens was just a heckin' rock star in his time. Um, mm -hmm. and, and partially because, right, like, like, because of that, this literary work has stayed with us and been reiterated so many different times. Um, I will say that I'm a little bit tired of straightforward productions of A Christmas Carol. Like, I've mm -hmm. just seen it too many times and I don't care anymore. Um, but local Mensch's uh, Dad's Garage, uh, which is an improv and comedy company here in Atlanta, um, they do a thing called Invasion Christmas Carol every year. If y'all mm -hmm. are in the Atlanta area, go check it out. They have, okay, I'm sorry, this is a long, this is a long aside. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what they have is a cast that learns the, the, the text of the play, A Christmas Carol. And then every night they have a different improver invader come in. And that can be, that can be anything from like a robot from the future to like Ted Lasso to <laughs> like uh, the one time I've been so far this year, they had uh, David from Schitt's Creek come on. It was, yeah, it's always absolutely delightful because it just throws the entire thing into chaos, delightful mm. chaos, while they're still trying to work out the basics of the plot. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I, I would love to check that out. My, I love, I feel like I've been singing this song my whole life, but now everybody's <laughs> on board. The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Michael Caine plays it so seriously. It's so strange. Even though every <laughs> they're Muppets. Yeah, it's Muppets. <laughs> it's so good. It but is But I feel beautiful. like this year everybody's like the Muppet Christmas Carol, so I'm yeah, I yeah. feel vindicated. They've, yeah, yeah it's, it's become another another like holiday movie meme kind of situation. Yes. And, yeah, and the <laughs> comparison between Michael Caine uh, treating uh, all the Muppets like serious actors versus uh, Tim Curry in Muppet Treasure Island oh. treating himself as a Muppet. Yes. Both oh. terrific performances. Both yeah. very good. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> but okay. Christmas at any Carol. rate, at any rate, that was a very long Dickens aside. Sorry. <laughs> it did have a big impact. I have a lot of friends that it scarred when they watched as kids. Because it's kind of a scary. It is. There's four scary. ghosts, man. Marley yeah. is heckin' creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, okay. 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 <laughs> so yes, uh, we've got this holiday association happening. Yeah. By the 1890s, mulled wine was very firmly established as a holiday tradition in much of Europe. Um, wine merchants would whip up their own recipes, and some even, from what I read most, would put something like Santa Claus on the labels okay. to just very clearly indicate yeah. this is kind of a holiday thing. Uh -huh. um, and soon, the holiday mulled wine spread across the world, and it became a global tradition bigger in some places than others. Um, and all kinds of varieties were created using all kinds of alcohols and ingredients. Um, I found kind of an interesting chart of where certain ones got really popular. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Interestingly, during the 19th and 20th centuries, Australian cookbooks, uh, they were much more likely to um, use it as a curative as oh, opposed huh. to like a, a holiday thing. So they they would include recipes for mulled wine that were meant for healing someone who might be sick or helping someone who might be sick, which a lot of cookbooks, just a reminder, did have a section like that. I mm-hmm. was like, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely the start of what cookbooks were. So. Right. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's got a steady place now. Maybe it's not like a huge thing, but it's not forgotten either. It's yeah. Sort of a, yeah. Yeah. It is it is definitely <laughs> right. Like if if a if a bar is going to put together a holiday cocktail menu, I feel like it's increasingly likely to see like a mulled wine alongside a hot toddy or something like that. I agree. I agree. Uh and I think like that hot chocolate wine thing I mentioned at the top that that went viral on TikTok, like that's kind of verging into. It, it, I feel like people have an interest in drinking wine that is warm in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's it is nice. It's a nice treat when you can have it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. But that's what we have to say about mold wine for now. It is. Um, if you have any traditions or uh, or recipes or memories, we would love to hear them. Um, but in the meanwhile, we do have some listener mail for you. We do. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsors. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Alyssa so impressed with how you're able to do this without being able to hear me, Lauren. <laughs> Every time we hear the like episodes before we release them, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I've I've learned I well, A, your your hand gestures really, really help. Um and and B, I've learned how to how to pitch my 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 loudness um mm. so that it's not so that I can hear most of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm learning <laughs> <laughs> skills, <laughs> skills. <laughs> also, I genuinely believe that super producer Andrew gives me a little bit of a boost. <laughs> just just pitches me a little bit closer yeah. to whatever you're doing. Yeah, wow, <laughs> he he is amazing. That we it must acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so Arik wrote. The Vegas stuff was fun. I've been once back in 2014 and would like to go again just to try some different food options. Mm. The amount of choices in smaller in a smaller area makes it interesting. How to choose? Roll the dice and see <laughs> what comes up. Ah, <laughs> um, fazeles. Oh, how I love them. My favorite are anise and lemon, although all of them are good. Now I have to see if my parents have the fazeli iron we had when I was growing up. As Lauren mentioned, the opinions on the irons are interesting. Russian, Polish, and Slavic heritage on my mom's side. My mom and grandma made great ones. Pittsburgh definitely has a number of good places around here that make them. A winter day, snow on the ground, a hot cup of tea, a couple of pozole, and a book. What a way to relax. Hmm. Um... What would you like to know about the cookie table? <laughs> it is definitely an extremely common thing around Pittsburgh, especially if both parties are from the area. The deeper the ties, the bigger the table, it seems. Hmm. Hmm. My wife and I did not have one years ago as we had a more informal reception that really did not have space for one. My cousin had a pretty good-sized table at her wedding. I think there were 12 different types and probably six to eight dozen of each. (laughs) Also had small boxes so you could Mm -hmm. take them home. That is something else that is pretty common with them. Uh, Make a lot and have take-home boxes. Some families will go into baking mode the week before and bake everything. And there are bakeries who specialize in cookie tables. Not sure if my oldest is going to have one. I stay away from the planning to be on the safe side. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, heck. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I love this. And several of you have written in about the cookie table, so we have more of those coming oh, up. Oh, excellent. Um, so good. Yeah, 
it's amazing. I, this is so new to me, but reading this message, I did remember I had a friend, a really close friend when I was growing up who was, her relatives were from New York. Okay. And she would do this huge baking week, like before Christmas. And one year I volunteered to help and it was foolish. Um, <laughs> it was so intense. They made yeah. so many cookies. Yeah. And I just was exhausted at the end of it. And then every year after that, I found a reason to be busy. <laughs> um, but it, it was like <laughs> they made so many cookies and like the numbers you're saying. Mm -hmm. I do think the take-home boxes is a really cool idea. I like yeah. That yeah. Well, from, from what I was reading about cookie tables, okay, A, to answer your question, what we want to know about cookie tables is literally everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but from what I was reading, yeah, there are like also capital O opinions about like, all right, like how many different varieties of cookies it's appropriate to have, whether you like reveal the table um, before dinner or only after, whether Ooh. if the table is there during dinner, is it appropriate to go get cookies before <laughs> dessert? Um, how many oh. cookies of each kind is it appropriate to take before everyone's kind of had a chance to? Um, do you have boxes or not? Uh, there's, there, right. Like from what I understand, there are strong opinions. And from what I read, yeah, like at least six dozen of each type of cookie is recommended. Whoa. <sighs> oh, <laughs> my goodness me. <laughs> I honestly, like, I was exhausted after helping my friend. It yeah. was, I was covered in flour. My hands hurt. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love, um, I love the idea of giving out boxes of cookies around the holidays, but I certainly am not motivated enough to do that. Um, I do, <laughs> I do, I, I have friends, I have a number of groups of friends who have a tradition of like doing like a, like a cookie party, like a cookie swap party uh, so mm -hmm. that you all wind up with a box of holiday cookies. Right. Um, but you're yeah. only making one kind, like maybe two if you're ambitious. Yeah, that sounds very nice. Um, I did go through a period where I was making a lot of cookies for my mom's church. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked it because it was that was when I was really into baking. So it was a fun way to experiment. Oh, and yeah. then like I don't need 24 cookies no. as one person. <laughs> and so I would make all these cookies. But then I started getting requests and it got out of control. Oh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, dude. So I yep. stopped. But – I love this. Uh, I can't wait to share the other messages we've got. Also, yes, if you find this Pizzelli iron, please write in. Uh, and indeed, Vegas is a... Every time you go to a city that you haven't been to before, maybe even you have, and they just have a million food choices. The choices... Mm -hmm. It's difficult. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard work. <laughs> it's difficult hard work, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> Nicole wrote, I was so excited to see a Pizzelli episode of my feed. I had just finished making Pizzellis for the holidays. It isn't Christmas until at least one house smells like anise. To throw another contender into the pronunciation ring, my family says it pizzel, with the soft T like pizza. We've definitely Americanized a lot of the Italian words for things, including our last name. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, and considering the lukewarm reception I've gotten over my cookies in Columbus the past couple of years, they might be more popular in the Cleveland Youngstown part of Ohio. 
My dad's side is the Italian side of the family, and there were some great stories when we met up with his extended family this past summer. It's so big that you need a family tree just to know who's related to who. My dad's one cousin told the story about how one of his aunts asked his future wife, who was not Italian, um, how she made her pizzelles. Uh, she asked, what's a pizzelle? And the aunt said, we've got a lot of work to do with this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> when they got married, they were gifted a custom pizzelle iron with their family crest in it. Those ladies were the cookie brigade, and my grandma was folded into that when she married my grandfather. We used to make dozens upon dozens of cookies for holidays and special events just for my dad's immediate family. I tried to eat my weight in cookies every holiday when I was a child. We don't make quite as many now, but I make sure to have my favorites. Sometimes there are still opportunities for cookie tables, but I feel like all the diet crazes have killed that in my family at least. I've attached a picture of the last big cookie table I saw, which was my cousin's wedding on my mom's side from almost a decade ago. We made a couple dozen lady locks, and my competitive mother was ecstatic that our cookies were so popular that we didn't have any leftovers we had to take home. Oh, the picture <laughs> is spectacular, <laughs> listeners. It is like a full table yes. of cookies. Um, also, I have to say, I really relate to your last statement because my mom my mom <laughs> does this she's like we we're i'm tired of having leftovers and then when everyone eats everything then she's like we didn't have enough there's no leftovers, <laughs> there's no leftovers. so she <laughs> makes more and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> we're trapped in a cycle <laughs> it means that you made enough and people liked it we yeah. don't have to make more we don't have to make more <laughs> but it's just funny i feel like a lot of times. I bet a lot of listeners can relate to that in one way or another. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that you have a, a Pazelle uh, with a family crest yes. in the family. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, the irons. <laughs> yeah. And, mm. um, and oh, man, I, I think, okay, so I, I'm pretty sure that we've been saying it a little bit wrong this whole time because the, the, the zit, the, 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 mm -hmm. that, that, Double Z in Italian really should be like a like a soft T, uh, mm. like pizza. Uh, so pizzelle mm. or pizzelle would be the more correct pronunciation. So I just further Americanized and <laughs> an already Americanized thing. So my bad. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, I one of my favorite line reads of all time speaking of the holidays yeah. your pizza tim curry home alone 2 <laughs> pizza he says it like he's never <laughs> heard it before it's beautiful um if you've seen it you know oh uh, yeah tim yeah. tim curry's accent is so mm. um unique uh, I don't say unique about many things cuz most things are not heckin unique um that's that's not what they are mm. but I, where is he from? Nobody knows. That accent <laughs> is from a little bit of everywhere. It's I and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful voice. Um, so good. Yeah, so big fan. Big fan. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I also love that both of these listeners are kind of from Pittsburgh area, mm -hmm. <laughs> or have some relation to Pittsburgh, and they wrote about this. Yeah, That's, those localities, those like very specific things. We yeah, love. yeah, yeah. And, and and I will tell you that a yes, uh, that yes, totally. Uh, the um, uh, the culture in Columbus, Ohio, is extremely different from the culture in the tri-state area. 
Um, my my grandparents, my mom's parents are from Youngstown area. And so, uh, yes, I can tell you that those are very different things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we loved hearing about those different things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. So... Thank you to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.